Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin, founder of Noor Human Consulting. Joining me today is my little brother, Muhammad Sirajuddin, and we discuss some of the projects he's been working on uh, abroad. One is called Arabic Square, a way to learn Arabic online at your convenience. And the second is Besmala Beads. Uh, maybe you've heard of them. They have been seen at the RIS convention, Reviving the Islamic Spirit up in Canada, um, ISNA, as well as uh, been a part of the Zawiya uh, retreats uh, conducted often by Dr. Omar uh, Farooq Abdullah, uh, as well as other places like Tatlif and Zaytuna. They're really awesome beads. Uh, number one, great quality beads. Uh, I own a couple of pairs myself. I recommend people to get them. Just one of a kind, unique, gorgeous. Uh, and we're going to learn more about the story behind them today. But they also have a Kickstarter campaign that they just launched uh, recently. And it's going to be going until uh, the end of December 2018. So please get on that Kickstarter campaign, support the cause, and uh, donate generously. They're currently about to release a Besmela bracelet. Um, so basically like thicker beads that you could usually wear around your neck. Now they have a bracelet version coming out and it looks really great. So go check that out. Please support the uh, project. I'll have links for Kickstarter and their website in the show. Inshallah, if you can, please support us at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. And if you can't do that, please leave us a nice review on iTunes today. Thank you for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Dear brother Muhammad, welcome to Coffee with Kareem podcast. It's so nice to have you on the show finally. Thank you very much, uh, brother Kareem. Uh, it's been uh, a long-awaited uh, interview, and I'm very honored to be on your uh, podcast. Excellent, excellent. So you have been in Egypt for many years now. We grew up in Massachusetts, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, Muhammad, my younger brother, he has spent the last eight years in Cairo. And Muhammad, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you've been up to there and what was your intention to go stay in Egypt? And how did it end up going from maybe a year or two to almost a decade? Um, I was working for Corporate America for oil and gas uh, company in uh, Houston, Texas, right after I graduated uh, from Boston University with a engineering, mechanical engineering degree. Uh, so I quickly uh, realized that the corporate uh, sort of lifestyle was, uh, was not for me. Um, but I waited until Allah SWT sort of gave me an opening uh, to what would the next step be. And the next step ended up being uh, making my hajj and then going to Egypt to um, pursue studies uh, in um, Arabic language and Quran and uh, some of the, the sacred sciences as well. MashaAllah, that's wonderful. And during that time in Egypt, you did start two businesses um, I'd love you to tell us more about them. One of them is called Besmala Beads, and the other one is called Arabic Square. So why don't we talk a bit more about Arabic Square real quick, and then we'll get into Besmala Beads, because I feel like that's the company that has a stronger theme to what our discussion is going to be about today, which is Dhikra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Yeah, so we started, um, uh, my uh, partner, uh, we're both co-founders of uh, Arabic Square as well as Basman Abids. Uh, but Arabic Square, we started about a year ago. Essentially, we wanted to establish a online, very streamlined and professional online school for learning Arabic uh, with in, um, Egyptian Arab teachers who uh, are very well trained in teaching uh, foreigners the Arabic language. Uh, they, they, you know, we handpick them. They got to be um, at least a thousand hours of. Uh, online teaching with foreigners under their belt so our the idea was to have like just a high quality uh, arabic program um, that would um, save the trouble for a lot of the the um you know our brothers and sisters uh, in u.s canada and europe uh, who have uh, sort of this overseas um kind of this dream to go overseas and and you know they never really been uh, to a place like Egypt, but they just want to go and immerse themselves in Arabic. So we tell them, like, you know, go through this program, uh, learn, you know, the basics, and then from there it'll be more clear for you where you would take it from there. Uh, so we're working also on making a on-site, you know, branch for Arabic Square where where students will actually come to Egypt and pr further pursue their studies, whether it's in Arabic or in the sacred sciences or Quran. Uh, so that's that's the the vision. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I love that. I mean, the idea is you know bringing overseas to you because a lot of people often associate if I want to go study Arabic or sacred sciences, I have to leave wherever I am and go to the east. Um, so this is a, a nice way to kind of get some prerequisites down, get a sense of what you can accomplish on your own at a self pace, and uh, and then consider if traveling abroad would be a, a good fit. Yeah, and to add to that, uh, my partner and I, we both sort of started our studies around the same time in 2010, and we had to go through a lot of different teachers, and, you know, um, we had to see, we had to go through a lot of uh, failures or disappointments, and um, starting and stopping and starting and stopping until we, you know, had got somewhere uh, with our studies, so... Um, our, also, our hope is to save that that trouble for uh, aspiring students uh, of the sacred sciences or of the Arabic language. So, just you know, we want to give them make that bridge. We want to be that bridge for them, um, and just you know, make the 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 process of independent studies in Arabic uh, in the sacred sciences much easier. So, can Muhammad? Can you tell us a little bit more about if I were a Perspective student of Arabic Square. How does it work exactly? So you just um, you just schedule uh, your free evaluation with the Ustad, and Ustad would evaluate where you are according to our um, curriculum, which is based on the, the um, a very well known uh, book for uh, for students called Arabiya Baini Adik. And uh, and then from there, um, once you know you you get an evaluation report, and uh, you have the option of subscribing uh, once a week or twice a week, three times a week, um, you just go ahead and uh, start the, the the program with the Ustad, and the Ustad will make sure uh, that you're progressing through the levels, and um, you'd also be supported by. Um, 
what we call like a, what we call a coach. Uh, the coach is uh, someone that we have in our staff who's uh, been through the process or is also a foreigner studying um, and has that experience like myself and my partner. And uh, we coach the students through and support them through the, the you know, the journey of learning Arabic online and, um, you know, trying to keep them focused and uh, explaining to them, you know, some of the pitfalls that come with the commitment and, um, you know, just trying to maintain a steady pace for them so they can actually get results and progress. Excellent, excellent. So I go to ArabicSquare.com. I register for an evaluation to place me at my Arabic level. And then based on that, there's recommended packages and programs to take me through. Do you also have, um, you know, a la carte uh, lessons or something that can be more customized for specific students? Yeah, we do have uh, we do have packages, hour, hourly packages that we offer um, on a um, you know on a, on a on a like special request basis, and we do have custom tracks for students who just want to learn certain things about the Quran or they want to just focus on developing their conversational skills. Uh, so we have both the general track that we've designed and customized based on Arabiya Bainiyadik, and we also have custom tracks. Um, or other books that uh, a student might want to um, to study. Wonderful, wonderful. And for those of you listening, I am myself uh, registered at Arabic Square and have done lessons with the Usted. It's very easy and, and it's really cool. You get to cover you know, Arabic lessons from the comfort of your home. There's a virtual classroom. And Muhammad, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you know, why you think it's important to study Arabic. Now, obviously, there's the obvious of, you know, we want to learn the Quran, we want to understand the meaning, but there are certainly people who think, like, that's not necessary. You know, why do I need to learn Arabic to really understand what's going on in the Quran? There's a lot of really good translations these days. And I'm wondering if you think that uh, one of the issues today with people perhaps having misunderstandings around Islam has to do with not having a solid grasp of Arabic and the terminologies uh, used in, in Islamic uh, teachings. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would definitely say Arabic uh, as a language is um, it's an ancient language. And although you'd be learning with the Ustad, uh, um, you'd be learning classical Arabic slash modern standard Arabic, uh, and you wouldn't uh, be going into, you know, ancient uh, Arabic poetry, pre-Islamic poetry, but uh, getting into Arabic and starting to access the morphology and starting to access the the um, the syntax of the language um, is very important for any any person um, trying to develop their not just their linguistic skills, but just I would say their intellect. Because Arabic, as an ancient language, uh, it's very uh, compatible with the intellect as we understand it in a classical sense. Um, and it's, for the most part, it would be um, a great, uh, you know, skill to have uh, in one's pursuit of intellectual sciences and the rational sciences. Um, 
it's uh, it's not just to understand the Quran, but it's almost like to make you a more intelligent person. Because when you start to see this, the details and the subtleties of the language, you'll start to to see the world in a very um, also nuanced way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember hearing uh, Imam Hamza Yusuf mentioning that once in a talk back in the day that you know when you study Arabic, it actually sharpens your intellect. And from kind of a, you know, linguistic standpoint, I mean, we know that language is the human technology to define and identify reality. Um, more importantly, identify reality as it actually is. Now, somebody could say, well, why can't I get that from studying Vietnamese or French? You know, it's going to change my worldview and, and give me some nuances as well. So what, what makes Arabic maybe a little more special in that regard, in your opinion? Mm-hmm. No, definitely any language will give you some something, some treasure of how to view the world, some facet of that, um, you know, that treasure. Uh, but uh, with Arabic, it has a special place because it was chosen to be the vessel of the pre-eternal speech of God, Taala. So because it was chosen for this specific pur- purpose. Um, then it gives it a special station amongst the languages. Uh, and it also would um, it would indicate or it would follow that it has a, a, a greater capacity to um, explain and to express realities, as you said, for how they actually are. Perhaps you can give us one example of a term in Arabic that is often translated in English um, and how, when you really get into the depth of the morphology of a word in Arabic, uh, it really shows us these layers or textures of understanding reality. Can you think of maybe an example, maybe something from Surah Al-Fatiha, which most of us know, um, you know, any word from there that you could maybe exemplify for us how it does enrich in our understanding of reality versus just reading one term in English to approximate its meaning? If you look at uh, a word like um, when the ayah uh, that relates to the beginning of cre- the creation of Adam, السلام, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says to Iblis when he refused to bow to Sayyidina Adam, السلام, he says to him, Astakbarta am kunta min al Have you which would loosely be translated in English as, are you arrogant or have you sought arrogance in your action of, you know, between parentheses, not prostrating? Or were you always from the alin or were you always from the people who consider themselves to be higher and better than others? So here the word estekbart, uh, there is a um, uh, three-letter addition to the verb, which is, Kabara, kaf ba'ra, and the, the additional letters are uh, alif, sin, ta. And the, this alif, sin, ta addition is always considered, usually, to consider to mean to request or to ask for um, that that verb. So astakbart would mean talaba al kibr, you know, requesting arrogance. So you know, are you seeking out to be arrogant, right? So that would be one understanding. But some of the scholars of uh, 
who try to penetrate the reality of this specific event, also they understand that there's a, another morphological meaning to alif sin te, which means, um, which denotes or, uh, what we call sayurura, or becoming, transforming into something like, uh, so the, 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 the implication here would, would mean if we apply the sayurura, meaning that istakbart, Allah is asking him, have you become arrogant? Or were you always from the ones who consider themselves to be high? So this, this difference in meaning has great implications in our understanding of who is Iblis. And was he always an arrogant one or, has, or did he become arrogant? Or was it a hidden um, disease? The arrogance was a hidden disease or was it something that, was, uh, uh, that appeared after? Uh, and this also sheds light on what we understand of what is evil, you know, and what is good uh, that Iblis had possibly he made a decision to be arrogant at one point, which means that he wasn't, that's not his natural state. And therefore he doesn't, there's no, we don't believe that um, Iblis is pure evil. And therefore we don't believe there's pure evil at all. Because he is the epitome of, of evil if we were to uh, say that there was one. That's really interesting. So this term implies either choosing to be arrogant or always being arrogant, but letting it surface in that particular moment when he was asked to prostrate to Adam. Man, I, I really want to get into the whole discussion of evil and Iblis, and uh, it's such an interesting discussion, but I don't want to digress too much. So let's, let's, let's connect this to our next segment, which is essentially the importance of remembrance of God, recalling God. And this is one of the main reasons why the Quran and other revelations throughout prophetic history have been revealed. Can you tell us more about what the term dhikra means and what are its implications? So dhikra is, it would be loosely translated. Again, it's, it's quite close translation and remembrance. Um, or recalling, um, but um, when we think about what it means to recall, um, it's a, it's um, opening uh, a a very uh, deep subject of you know what is memory and what what is it you know when we understand when we remember things and <clears throat> what is our capacity to memorize things and to store them in our mind and you know that's a these are there's a lot of um, very subtle secrets in this uh, in the reality of memory uh, so it's almost like when you remember something like an experience maybe that's attached with an emotion uh, or may whether it be good or bad it's almost like becoming again or being in that in that experience once again so there, it's very closely related to existence and your and, and the, the reality of being. Um, so uh, when we remember God, um, we're not just—it's not just the act of saying His uh, name or, or or saying a verse from the Quran or saying Subhanallah, but it has—it's very closely related to uh, your own being and being. Um, that trans that's transformed by 
these specific uh, realities that are in, in these words. Um, so recalling God is like once again being a person who is now who who receives the the divine commands, who receives the divine uh, um, direction, and uh, is a vessel of of that of the, of the will of God and to seek, seeking to be uh, at, in harmony with Allah's will. Yeah. So I what you say here is very important, and that's the distinction between. When you remember or recall something, this is this is based on something that's already been established in one's consciousness, whether in its experience or knowledge or or a memory. Um, versus, if I learn something new, I'm not recalling or remembering. I'm actually just learning it new for the first time. But what's interesting here is dhikra, which is you know this remembrance or recalling of the divine reality. Is also it also implies that there is an original imprint in us to understand where we came from, where and where we're going, and there are verses of the Quran which allude to this, right? That we had a, you know, pre-earthly understanding of who Allah is, where we come from, and where we're going to return. Is that an accurate way of understanding what you're saying here? Precisely, yeah, it's uh, very accurate. I would add to it that. Remembering that imprint is the reality of Alastu bi Rabbikum. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He asked us before we were created in our present form. Uh, we had a real existence before we were created and uh, we were delivered from our mother's wombs. And in this, this uh, time or this era of Alastu bi Rabbikum, we were all fully witnessing the oneness of God. Uh, and when Allah SWT asks us in the Qur'an, أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ These are Allah's asking us ultimately, don't you remember أَلَسْتُ بِرَبِّكُمْ So <clears throat> when you ever read an ayah of the Qur'an and you hear or you read أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ and you... Um, in a sense, substitute that with, do you not remember Alastu bi Rabbikum? It will, the um, the importance and the reality of the ayah will be much more highlighted um, in in uh, in your uh, in your engaging with the Quran. Right. So from that sense, you're not actually recalling. Um, you're not learning something new by reconnecting to God. You're actually recalling and remembering what has already been established or intrinsically real and meaningful within the human spirit. And and perhaps this is why, you know, often people who find religion or, or find God, they describe almost like a homecoming for them, right? It's like being in a place that's familiar once again within the within themselves. Yes, exactly. There's that feeling of familiarity. Uh, there's the feeling of um, I'm back home. There's a feeling of um, this is the origin of things. And um, even you might feel the familiarity with other people. There's sometimes we have experiences where you feel you've met someone for the first time, but you feel like you've known them forever. Uh, and that's... Uh, understood as these are the people who are actually with you or next to you on the day of those spirits were, were close to you 
And uh, that's why we experience these unexplained familiarity with people. Very interesting. So in that pre-earthly time, these spirits were in the same proximity as you, and hence why there may be an earthly spiritual affinity to somebody you've never met before. You just feel that instant connection or chemistry with that person. And it's not we're not talking about romantic chemistry per se, but even it could be male to male or female to female. And I've certainly had experiences like that. I'm just like, man, I feel like I've known you all my life and we already get each other. And it's a really, it's a real wonderful feeling. So is this powerful understanding part of the reason why you um, decided to establish Besmala beads? And why don't you tell us a little bit more about that and what it's all about? Well, I was definitely practicing some, uh, dhikr before Besmala beads was established. We established uh, Besmala beads uh, about three years ago. Um, but I was making dhikr before then and... Um, using the sibhas, tasbih beads uh, from that were you know sold in in Cairo around the old Cairo area. When you when you start to practice dhikr and it's a it's a very central thing in in one's life, um, you tend to take it seriously and you also take your act your your Islamic beads also seriously, and uh, which would you know have you look for beads that are strong, they're durable, uh, beads that have certain materials that, that are symbolic, you know, um, that, you know that, that are beautiful. So <clears throat> it's just like when you have a car, you know, when you're taking your transportation seriously, you want to get a good car that's going to serve you in, in, your, uh, in your needs and your wants. So, um, so we wanted to produce an, a product, basically, a sipha, that we would um, be proud of, um, and that we would uh, we could share with uh, with others who, you know, uh, may be serious about dhikr or who are interested in in in, in dhikr and uh, would uh, you know would like to to um, to start learning more about it. Um, so we um, that was one one of the main reasons, and besides that, we had. We observed that the, these craftsmen, um, these Egyptian craftsmen, were leaving their, um, you know, their craft uh, and doing um, other things like becoming Uber drivers and stuff because uh, they're just looking to make ends meet. Um, so we wanted to also preserve this this art. Um, we consider it to be a uh, heritage um, um, for Egypt and for the world. Uh, is something that should be preserved um, along with um, with its history. So uh, we, we wanted to really, um, I think I would say it's those two main things that we wanted, that inspired us to um, to start Basmana beads. Wonderful. And my understanding is that the beads that are made through Basmala beads, number one, they're all made of high quality uh, materials, right? Like different types of wood, stone, um, and secondly, that the art of making these beads is a unique art that's passed on because somebody could say, well, why can't I just go buy the $7 one at my local, you know, Islamic bookstore or masjid? Um, but, but from my understanding, the ones you guys have at Besmala beads are made by a special uh, 
crafting knowledge that has been passed on. And number three, that means every one that you purchase is actually unique. Is that accurate? Handmade. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're all, they're all handmade, and they all um, they're all handmade made by a craftsman a craftsman that uh, works with us, and we we just um, we just make designs for him, and he's the one who crafts it. Um, so <clears throat> the materials are definitely most of them are, are wood, and we also use stones like like a gate, uh, turquoise. Sometimes we inlay with uh, silver and copper. Um, so we definitely focus on uh, beautiful and natural materials. Um, and we also have uh, our best metal beads lines are um, tasseled with um, West African style tassels, which are also um, sort of a feat of hand uh, craft. Um, they take, um, like the, the ones that we make are high quality. Again, these are slowly, these craftsmen are dying out. They're looking for... Um, Again, to support their family, they're looking for making cheaper and low-quality things. And to keep this specific skill alive, we have to pay them what they would get if they were making large quantities of low-quality. Because um, the time it takes for them to make one of our tassels, which is a luxury-style tassel, they can make uh, like a 100 of the cheap-quality ones. So... You know, we have to we have to take that hit in a sense to uh, to maintain um, this uh, this skill so that it can be passed on from one. Actually, they're all Azhari students from uh, Benin and other West African countries. Um, but it's a it's a very durable tassel. It keeps the the beads um, you know tightly uh, together for for years. And, you know, we guarantee on that that if anything happens to it, we'll replace it. We want it to be something that you can pass down to your kids. Um, that's the idea behind the Basman Abid. Love it. Love it. And I and I own two myself, ladies and gentlemen, and they are they are amazing and the best 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 uh, beads I've ever had and used. And what's nice about it is you are helping this craft and this art stay alive, be passed on. You're also helping people who have this uh, craft be able to do it and, and live off of it. Um, and lastly, I wanted to mention that for I know for me, remembering to do my daily wird or my, my daily athkar sometimes can be very difficult um, just because life happens. And so I've noticed that ever since I got my own pair of Basmala beads, you know, they're ni what's nice about them is they're long. You can wear them around your neck, wrap them around your wrist. And I'm a very visual person. So every time I visually see my, my beads, I remember to do my athkar. So it's kind of like the vicar beads helps you remember to recall, right? <laughs> it's like two steps, you know, but it also, uh, it makes it just much more easier. And I've noticed that ever since I got them in my own life, I've been able to preserve more consistency around my daily athkar, alhamdulillah. Definitely, definitely. That's great to hear, alhamdulillah. Uh, yeah, and we, I mean, we also, these are crafted in and around old Cairo, very like folkloric area, where also Az Azhar University is, um, Azhar Mosque, sorry, the, the, the original mosque, as well as the tomb of Imam al-Hussein. So all these areas here, they, you know, as I'm and my partner, we're going back and forth from our studies and and uh, you know, going through these uh, 
to the alloys of old Cairo were also, you know, making these beads. So they're fitting sort of into our study uh, program, so to speak. Um, so there's a lot of, I would say, beyond the materials and the craftsmanship and the time that's put in, there's a lot of intentionality and uh, special um, sort of place, I would say, that uh, these beads are coming out of. And, uh, you know, that's something we also want our people, our customers to experience and to be connected with as well. Wonderful, wonderful. And that's besmalabeads.com, ladies and gentlemen. We'll also have a link for that as well as Arabic Square in the description of the show. Muhammad, before we end today, I, as someone who studied psychology, um, I wanted to ask you a bit more about, okay, so athkar is, is an important thing and we, we touched you know, on it a little bit today. But I'm wondering, you know, as they say in psychology, perception tends to be everything, right? How I perceive things is how I'm going to make meaning, how I'm going to interpret my reality. It's going to impact my moods, my thoughts, my behaviors. So in your opinion, how does having a serious practice of remembrance of God, besides, let's say, the five daily salah, um, how does it actually impact one's psychology in your understanding? Well, I, I would, I mean, I would say you, you're the specialist here in that. Maybe you'd have a... <laughs> <laughs> you just threw it back on me, huh? <laughs> but I mean, if psychology, I, I would say if psychology, if we understand it as uh, the state of your soul, uh, then um, having a word is, um, it's very important uh, to commit to a word or, or, or a litany of dhikr um, because whether it be uh, through your sibha or from the Qur'an or even without a sibha if you're reciting on your fingers but it's, it's very important to, to commit to um, it's non it's, uh, the relationship uh, between the dhikr and your psychology is not linear um, meaning that um, sometimes we judge a thing by how we feel. So the dhikr is making me feel connected to God, then I want to do more of it, and it's good. Um, but sometimes when you're committed to dhikr, to a dhikr or, or a wird, and you're going through very tough times, and sometimes you don't even want to look at the sibha, you don't even want to open the Qur'an, uh, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, because it's not... Uh, making you feel psychologically good or because maybe you feel psychologically uh, there's uh, maybe you're sad you're upset the result or the fruit of the dhikr may not always be felt um, it may be happening maybe change you may be changing uh, you may be gaining more uh, nur uh, but you may not see it and not seeing it is sometimes a mercy from Allah so that you don't become distracted by uh, the nur or by the, the fruit that has come from your dhikr uh, and that one uh, practicing patience in time of difficulty is one of the best ways to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and maintaining your 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 dhikr in, in, in those difficult times. So I'm kind of hearing you say it's like it's not about just doing it for the spiritual high or to feel exactly. good but that you know um, and similar, I think a lot of people can relate to this as far as daily prayers. I mean, we don't always feel like praying when we have to pray, or we don't always feel good 
after we pray, when we pray. But my understanding is that's part of the purification of the nefs or the self, right? Because the ego wants to do what it wants to do. And every time you force it to do something that it doesn't feel like doing, you're actually purifying your ego, right? And this is why it's so important that I've noticed um, and observed with people I've worked with that, subhanAllah, in times of difficulty, instead of turning to God, we usually do the opposite. We usually feel like, well, I don't want to do this because I just don't feel, I'm very depressed or I'm very sad or I'm very angry. And we don't think it's going to do anything for us, right? As far as feeling better or it's not going to solve our problems, so to speak. But that's not necessarily the case based on what you're saying here. But on another note, um, I, I know speaking from personal experience, for example, for me, I noticed that when I'm more consistent in my adhkar, um, I feel less anxiety overall. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways I interpreted that was, you know, human beings, as as Allah tells us, we're, we're created anxious, you know. We have, we have this hem. Um, and my evaluation or assessment of that is, well, that makes a lot of sense because anxiety by its nature is concern for the unknown, right? Or worry about actual or perceived threats, um, not feeling in control, not knowing what's going to happen. These are all reasons why people feel anxious. And this is a part of the human condition because number one, humans don't have absolute knowledge, they don't have absolute control, and they don't have absolute power. So naturally, we're always going to feel some limitation or some constraint in that regard, because there's only so much we can know, do, and control. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have uh, any of those uh, limits. And so one of the ways that you outsource your human limitations um, is by connecting to the one who has perfect and absolute powers and control. Um, and that's something that I've noticed in my own life as far as a psychological or mental health implication of having, you know, uh, conscious dhikra uh, and, and consistent dhikra in one's life. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, definitely. Um, when you make your dhikr and you commit to dhikr of, uh, over a long period of time or a sufficient period of time and there's commitment, then you will have, um, there will be a channel opened between the abd and his, the, the servant and his lord. And this channel will be uh, uh, something, uh, it will be the way in which that uh, the servant uh, can easily connect to their creator and easily remember these realities that you mentioned that would, in effect, uh, make anxiety, feelings of anxiety and not being in control subside. So, um, in the long run, definitely that, that is what would happen. Um, there's always assistance that comes with a widget, especially one that has that is connected to a, a real source. Um, when you can, when you uh, commit to the widget, you will be, uh, you will receive help. You will receive spiritual assistance um, as a response to uh, your widget. Uh, but again, maybe you won't always perceive it. You won't. It won't always be the time that you expect, but it will come. Right. And perhaps one way to understand spiritual assistance is your your inner internal state or your heart finds tranquility 
with the external challenges that are happening. It doesn't necessarily mean the external external challenges will be removed magically all of a sudden, right? But it could mean that your internal reality shifted and you're able to cope and be patient. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, there would definitely be a transformation in, in your, your heart. And uh, the spiritual assistance is also like a, a flow or inflow uh, of, um, of 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 spiritual um, uh, or light, maybe you can say, and spiritual sustenance or nutrients, perhaps. Exactly, spiritual sustenance. Exactly, that will give you the strength um, to withstand certain situations. Because you know, um, when you go through difficult situations, uh, or you're taking on certain um, uh, challenges in the sense spiritual challenges where you're uh, when you're trying to elevate yourself spiritually you're going to you're going to face um, satanic uh, attacks and uh, one cannot um, one cannot defeat uh, Satan's guiles and, and, and traps alone uh, only with the help of God so this spiritual assistance or the spiritual influx is what the what will keep allow the, the the person to continue to pass these challenges to uh, continue forward and to become stronger in a in a um, you know iterative way or gradually become stronger. Right. I love the analogy of you know physical nutrients and you know physical immune system and just like we have to take care of our body with proper eating exercise vitamins etc we also this is like a way to strengthen your spiritual immune system because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says all of us are going to be tested right in matters of wealth health children whatever it is and so if all the you know people often ask you know how do I be patient in time of calamity and I think that besides you know learning how to deal with it in the immediate sense, um, the prerequisite or pre preventative measure is to strengthen your spiritual immune system through things like salah and athkar and connection with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that's what fortifies you because it's whether it's you have a calm time now, it doesn't mean something won't come eventually. And so you've, you've got to prepare, right? Yeah, there might be a storm coming on the horizon that you don't see. So it's like death. How do we prepare for death? We we live in the way that we want to die. So if you want uh, if you want to die with the name of God uh, on your tongue or the Quran on your tongue, then don't expect that to happen. If you're spending your whole life not doing those things or or engaging with more trivial matters and then saying, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, when I reach a certain age, I'm gonna do these things. It's it's not. It's not going to be that way. It has to be a uh, something. It's a commitment that transforms you on a uh, a period of time, over a period of time, gradually, until you um, sort of are elected to be one who is uh, whose life is sealed with that um, with that thicket or with that um, you know special. Uh, state of being in the in, in the state of dhikr. Right. And the last uh, tip I'd like to offer everybody is, 
you know, try having some time where you are in silence. I think that's a really important, you know, exercise for anybody to have if they really want to have a more conscientious, contemplative lifestyle. I mean, a lot of times we are constantly immersed and swimming in sensory input, right? Whether it's music in the car, TV's always on, we always have to be talking on the phone or texting or looking at social media. And then when you try to drop down and do dhikr for 10 minutes or do your salah, it's very hard to focus because you go from all this external uh, sensation and then expect you're going to have this internal stillness just like that. But that's something that also has to be cultivated by also practicing times of silence or just being, you know, without without some kind of a distraction or something um, taking away your focus or attention. What do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say um, I heard about some studies that were done in terms of how um, how a person will, um, how their attention and their focus uh, will change when they are uh, looking at their phone and, uh, you know, perusing on, on WhatsApp or Facebook or whatever. And then there's actually a, a certain, an average time that it takes for that person to actually refocus on something else. And that that time it takes is like, it's significant. I don't, uh, for every uh, few minutes that you're focusing on your phone, there's, uh, there's a, a minute or something that you need to actually get out of that focus. So even if you're not looking at your phone, this, this implies that even if you're not looking at your phone, you're actually, your mind might be on your phone or expecting a message or hoping for so-and-so to respond to you. So you're actually not present. So actually taking the conscious effort to put your phone or, uh, or social media or whatever um, and um, limiting it to a time so that you're, you're, you're consciously uh, isolating this specific activity as a certain task rather than just leaving it completely open during the day and then the result would be that you're never ever really going to be uh, reaching your potential and focus on anything besides on anything at all actually because you're always going to be in a limbo between that and the and the you know the phone activity or whatever right Muhammad Siraguddin thank you so much for your presence today Thank you so much. Um, my honor. And uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, um, check out besmalabeads.com to purchase your own custom, unique, beautiful Athkar beads and arabicsquare.com if you'd like to learn Arabic at your own pace from the comfort of your home. Thanks again, Muhammad, and inshallah, you have safe travels back to Cairo, and I will miss you, little brother. Thank you very much, big brother. All right. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alaikum assalamu wabarakatuh. Thanks for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Please don't forget to visit Kickstarter. Search Besmala Beads. We'll have the link in the description of the show. Please support this project. And if you'd like to work with me, visit nudehumanconsulting.com. Inshallah, if you can, please support us at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. And if you can't do that, please leave us a nice review on iTunes today. Thank you for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast.